0: we are going to get back into the Gospel of Mark. But until then, in September, uh, we are going to take a few weeks and uh, just examine our mission as a church body. Um, the reason we're doing this is there are certain principles that are true in life. And one of the things that I found out as a small child... Uh, Growing up, I loved basketball, but I found out really quickly that you don't just drift into being good at a sport. (laughs) It doesn't just happen. It's not haphazard. You don't stumble into it. I loved playing, and I figured out real quickly, if I'm going to be able to score points (laughs) and play defense and be good at this game, I'm going to have to think very intentionally about drills, about how to play the game, I'm going to have to practice, and I'm going to have to probably cut other things out of my life in order to focus on shooting a a certain number of shots a day. You can't play video games for five hours a day and then expect to be good at basketball. It doesn't work that way. Those of you that are involved in the business world, you, you know this to be true. You hear people from time to time, a business will be struggling a bit, and they'll say something like we are trying to get back to our core values. We used to do one or two things really, really well, and we want to get back to doing those things really, really well. We want to bring a laser focus to what we're doing as a business. And those of you that have owned a business before, which is some of you, you know this to be true. You can't do everything. You can't do all that is available to you. You can't sell cars, offer haircuts, raise goats, and roast coffee all at the same time. Now, that would be a unique business model, but you, don't, you can't do all of those things and do them well. You have to focus in on what you're going to do well, and you have to work at it, and you have to do it intentionally. Now, obviously, it's important to be intentional in your business. It's important to be intentional and purposeful in your own life when you're a kid growing up playing a sport, working on your schoolwork whatever it may be, but if those things are important, and they are important, it's even more so that as a church, we think carefully and intentionally about why we do what we do, and we even think about what we're going to do. We have to think purposefully about our mission, what God has called us to as a church. I mean, if you think about it, <laughs> To an outsider, this is a unique thing that we all get together every week. We come in here and we listen to teaching and preaching. And I would imagine if you were sort of dropped in and watched, you would think, what, what are those people all about? What are they trying to accomplish by getting together each and every week? What's their purpose? What, what are they about? And even as we gather together, we ought to be thinking, what are we supposed to be doing? with our time, with our effort. I mean, we could do a lot of things, right, as a church. We could sort of dictate that. We can say, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to get involved in this ministry. We're going to get involved here. There's a lot of things that are open to us that we could do as a group of people who are committed together and gathered together. We have time. We have money. We have effort. We could invest those in a number of places. So how do we decide? We have a limited number of time, a limited amount of time on this earth. What are we going to spend it doing? What is our church body going to invest our time, money, and effort into? Well, I think we have to start with the question, what does God tell us is the purpose of his mission for his people? I mean, he does tell us that pretty clearly. Here's what you're here to do. Here is why I have left you on the earth. And he says it very, very clearly. What are his people in the church supposed to be pursuing and accomplishing? And then when we have figured that out, when we've answered that question, then we have to say, okay, now that we know that, how do we as a church go about accomplishing that mission? How can we best spend ourselves in pursuing that goal and that mission? And so with those questions in mind, last summer... Summer of 2017, uh, the elders sat down over several elders meetings, and we, we wrestled with those very questions. We talked them through. We said, what does the Bible tell us is our mission as a church? I mean, we started with that big and that broad of a question. What is God's purpose for His church in this world? And the reason we did that is because we wanted to try to bring a laser focus to our ministry. We don't want to be haphazard. I don't want to be, we don't want to be on a pool float, floating down the lazy river, trying to save a person here as we can to bring them onto the float, right? Like we don't want to be haphazard. We don't want to be carried along with the current. Instead, what I would rather be is on a speedboat with a powerful outboard motor that can cut against the current and we can say, we're going here and we get there. And we're able to rescue people as we do that. We are able to advance the mission that we have been called to because we know exactly where we're going and we know where we're headed. We're not carried along. We're dictating under the authority of God's word where we're going to go. That's what I want to be. And I hope you want to be that too. And so in order to get that, we need to think about God's purposes for the entire creation. Now, we're not going to go into great detail in this, But we need to think, what is God doing? Why did He create the world? What is He hoping to accomplish in creating the world? And then we will find our purpose under that. So what is God trying to do? Why did He create the world? Well, here's a pretty good summary. I'm sure you could find other summaries, but here's a pretty good summary I found this week that I thought was helpful. The message of the Bible, in essence, is that God is at work to bring into being a people under His rule in His place. God is at work to bring into being a people under his rule in his place. Now, the only thing I would add to this is that he does that for his own glory, to bring himself honor so that everyone will see he is majestic, he is powerful, he is loving, he is glorious. He will magnify himself through his representatives on the earth as they live under his rule in the place he has designed for them, and that will bring him honor. So really, that, that's kind of a summary of what God is doing through the creation of the world. And if you think about this, this is true. This is the pattern that happens through the scriptures, right? I mean, he creates Adam and Eve, puts them under his rule. They're his people in his place in the Garden of Eden, and they're to live under his rule, under his authority. Now, unfortunately, you know the story. They... they against that authority, they disobey that authority, and then God sort of starts it over again with the nation of Israel. They are to be His people. He calls them out. They are to be under His rule, under His authority, and they are to live in His place, the promised land. Now, of course, the nation of Israel fails that as well, but that's the trajectory of the Old Testament, and all of that is realized and summarized in Jesus Christ. He's the one that succeeds all those Old Testament expectations. He's the one that succeeds where Israel has failed. And he perfectly lives under God's rule, under his authority. And now he calls a people out, beginning with the disciples, to be God's people living under his rule. And one day we will be living in his place, which ultimately is the new earth. And all of this will come to fruition. God's original intention will be fulfilled in that time, and that place, through the work of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, Jesus says, I want you as my people to go out and I want you to call others to become my people, to become my followers, my disciples, living under my rule, anticipating the time when they will be in my presence, in my place on the new earth. And so it's an interesting thing right now. We're sort of in this in-between time, right? We're, not, we're God's people living under his rule as best we can in our sinfulness, but we're not yet in His place. And that's why Scripture calls us sojourners. There's the Great Commission. But in 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We're in this in-between time. We're His people under His rule, but we're not yet in His place. So we're like refugees. We've left the homeland, but we're living somewhere that's not really our homeland. And we're on the way to the homeland. And while we're living here as sojourners and exiles, our responsibility according to Matthew 28 is to call others to become sojourners and exiles and followers to be his people living under his rule. We're acting on behalf of our king and we go out into the world to make disciples. I mean that that's it, right? Like if you were to say what is the mission of the church? This is it. It's Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission. That's the goal. That's the laser focus. Everything we do in the life of this church, hear me, everything we do in the life, the activity of this church is meant to advance this mission to make disciples of all nations. That's it. That's our goal. That's why we're here. That's why we gathered this morning, to be equipped to go and to do this. That's clear, I think. But here's the the issue. We're fallen human beings, and so we get distracted from this mission. How many of you this week got up to go into the kitchen and get something out of the refrigerator and completely forgot what you were going into the kitchen to get out of the refrigerator, right? (laughs) Young and old, it happens to all of us. We get distracted. I get distracted so easily. Bethany will say, can you get this for me? And I'll start looking at my phone. She's like, what are you doing? I got distracted, right? We, We get distracted from what we're trying to do so easily in our daily lives that it actually makes sense that we would get distracted easily from the mission that we're supposed to be on that we would start thinking, well, maybe as a church we should do this or we should do this or we can run programs that accomplish this purpose or whatever it may be. Sometimes it's just more comfortable and it's, more, it's easier to sort of float along with the current. It takes a little more effort to fire up the outboard motor and to cut against the current and go the opposite way and to be intentional about it. And so because of that, it's natural to all of us Because of that, we have to do certain things to say, here's where you you need to be focused. Because of our tendency to drift, we need to have mechanisms in place that continually remind us of what we're to accomplish and what we're to be about, to stay on task. And a big part of that is knowing what our mission is and then setting structures in place within our church body the way we do ministry that help us to say stay on task keep making disciples keep going about this under God's grace with everything you have so what is that mission well it's on your bulletin actually i think this is the first week it's at the bottom of the first page of your bulletin but this is it on the screen as well this is what the elders came up with i think rooted in the biblical text And this statement is what we want to talk about the next few weeks, all the way through the end of September. This is us hooking up the outboard motor and saying, let's go In, in the right direction. Woodhaven Bible Church exists to make followers of Christ. That's disciples. Straight from Matthew 28. This is why we're here, to make followers of Christ who worship God, connect with one another, and serve the church and the world. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks flushing this out, and then we'll get back to the Gospel of Mark. But our ultimate goal is what we're going to talk about today in these next few minutes. We want to make followers of Christ. This is the heart of the mission. And we believe, based on the text of Scripture, that a healthy, sanctified follower of Christ will be involved in three areas. They will worship God on a weekly basis, in their own personal life. They will connect with other believers. They understand, I do not do this alone. I'm responsible to others within the body of Christ. I'm just a thumb. I need to serve the others within the body. I connect with them for the purpose of edification. And I serve both this church for edification and I serve the world. And the beautiful thing about this statement, I think, is when we get to the end and we are serving the church in the world, it loops back around because then you introduce others who have not heard the gospel to the gospel, and then they begin this process of being a follower of Christ, and they grow in their worship, their connection with other believers, and their service to the church in the world, and then it loops back around again, and that's the goal. That's the process that we want to be involved in, that never-ending, at least never-ending till Christ returns, that never-ending circle of making followers who worship, connect, and serve, who then go and make other followers who worship, connect, and serve. So that's why you have those three words on the wall in the back. I hope you've seen those. I like them. I think they look nice. But more than looking nice, they're to remind us week in and week out, this is what we're to do. This is who we're to be. We're followers of Christ. So because of that statement... I want to spend the rest of our time this week, just the next few minutes, discussing this main goal, followers of Christ. What does it look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Now, this is a massive topic, right? It's hard to get your arms around it. But I want to talk just real briefly about this and sort of introduce this topic. We've actually spent most of the summer talking about this, haven't we? In Mark chapter 8 through Mark 10. I mean, the series was called Follow because the whole thing is about Jesus teaching his disciples what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Well, I want to bring some, some stuff out of that series, hopefully, and summarize and draw your attention to sort of some core realities of a follower of Christ. So when you think about a disciple or a follower, you have to think of the context in the ancient world, which... Jesus' disciples were very much in line with a follower or a disciple had a master or a teacher, and they were committed to that master or teacher, and they literally followed them around. They did life with them. They spent time with them. They listened to their teaching, and they wanted to learn from that teacher. They're committed to that teacher. I mean that's the exact same idea of what Jesus did with his disciples. But there were all sorts of teachers and masters and all sorts of disciples in the ancient world. You could follow a philosopher, a rabbi, whoever it may be. But this one author, Christian author, described an ancient disciple like this, and I think this is helpful. We'll quote this guy several times this morning. Jonathan Dotson. He has a great little book. We're going to recommend it to you probably in a week or two in the bulletin, but Gospel-centered discipleship, superb book. But here's what he says. A disciple, this is an ancient disciple. A disciple is rational. They're a learner. They're relational. And they're missional. They're a missionary, all right? So in, in, in other words, no matter who your teacher was, so think outside of the scope of Jesus and the disciples, no matter who your teacher was in the ancient world, being a disciple of that teacher meant committing to these three things. You were going to learn from them. You were going to have a personal relationship with that teacher and with the other followers, live in community together, being relational. And the ultimate goal was that you would be a missionary for that teacher. You did not keep the teaching that you received to yourself. You wanted to go and to claim others to be followers of your particular teacher. So this was true of any ancient disciple. And of course, this is true of followers of Jesus Christ. So if we bring this over, this has a very gospel focused feel to it. Here's what he says is true of disciples of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus then is someone who learns the gospel, relates in the gospel, and communicates the gospel. So the ministry of Jesus is all about the good news of the gospel, right? We've seen this in Mark. He comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the reality of God's reign breaking in through him and his ministry, the reality of forgiveness of sins through his work on the cross and his resurrection. So it's all about the gospel message. And so being a follower of Jesus means you are intimately connected to that gospel message, that reality. And so we want to think this morning, as we think about our mission statement, as we think about our goal of making followers of Christ, and even of us being followers of Christ, we want to think about these three characteristics. We want to flesh these out a little bit. Followers of Jesus are learners of the gospel. They're relators in the gospel. They relate to others, and they communicate the gospel. So let's start here. Followers of Jesus, this will be our outline this morning. They learn the gospel a disciple is a learner. And there's no way around this. I mean, this is what you signed up for as an ancient disciple of whoever it would be. If you were going to follow Plato, if you were going to be his disciple, you knew that your mind was going to be challenged by his teaching and that you were going to have to process through things and think through things intellectually. You were going to acquire new information as a disciple of Plato. And you cannot be, and I cannot be, a disciple of Jesus Christ without a hunger to learn of his person and work. And this is par for the course. This is what we do. And you know this, if you think about what we're doing right now, you are sitting in order to learn, in order to acquire new information. This means that every follower of Christ is a theologian. It's not just for seminary students or seminary professors or Bible college teachers. Every follower of Jesus Christ is a theologian. Theology, the study of God, is vital to our lives as disciples. One author said this, theology, the goal, is to shape our ideas and words about God so that our functional theology, and I'll explain that in a second, corresponds to the truth about His divine being and character. So your functional theology is the belief that you have that goes unstated. This is not necessarily what you would write down and say, I believe these five things. But your functional theology is the set of beliefs that actually determine how you live life. So I may claim to believe that God is sovereign, but if my life is filled with fear, worry, and anxiety all the time, then my functional theology is I'm denying that God is sovereign in many ways. So your functional theology is what you really believe deep down, despite what you may say. It's your walk rather than just your talk. And so the goal of our theology is to learn about God and about Christ so that our functional theology becomes what we becomes true according to who God is it actually matches reality and so when i say god is sovereign i actually believe that and the way i live matches up to that reality that god is sovereign that's the goal of functional theology but to do that it takes instruction you don't again you don't just coast into this It takes explicit, intentional teaching and instruction, and it takes effort on the part of the student, takes focus in order to learn of God's character and God's ways. And that's why our ministry here is so focused on teaching. It's not everything. It's not the only thing. It's not all we do. It's not enough for me to just stand up and preach on Sunday and for you to sit there and listen to a sermon once a week. That's not enough, but it is important. And we're acknowledging this fact that disciples are learners when we do what we're doing this morning. So let me just encourage you, as you think about this and process through it, there has never been a time when there's more available to you to learn of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's sermons available online, there's good resources, there's so much that is available. Now, there's a lot of junk out there that won't make your theology correspond to God's character better but there's so much that is good and that is helpful and that's biblical. So if you really want to you can dive into this and have the opportunity to learn and be a disciple who is growing in your theological understanding. And that's a privilege that we have. So be a learner of the gospel this week, all right? Second, a follower of Jesus, he learns the gospel, he she learns the gospel, but she also relates in the gospel. So learning is a vital part. I mean, I've tried to paint that picture for you, but you're not just a student in the classroom acquiring information. That's part of it, but that's not all that it is. You're not just listening to a lecture. A major piece of discipleship of being a follower of Christ is how we relate in the gospel with one another. What does that mean? Well, a good word for this would be the word adherent when you're an adherent to something, you're not just a student of it, but you're actually taking the teaching in and you're following the teaching. It is impacting how you live personally and how you relate to others. It changes your life. And so a disciple in the ancient world was shaped and changed by the teaching of his master or of his teacher. And so if the teacher taught that in order to live the good life, you had to meditate for three hours a day, and you had to eat only vegetables, that student would be an adherent of that teaching, and he would begin to follow that teaching. And so he would start working in his vegetable garden, perhaps, and getting into his meditation posture, practicing that. Because he's an adherent of the teaching. He follows the teaching. It shapes his life. So as important as doctrinal knowledge is, and it is important... It has to go beyond just an intellectual acquisition of information, and it has to change and shape the way we live. You remember in the Gospel of Mark, what does it call the path of Jesus over and over again? It calls it the way. It's because it's a it's a journey. It's a process. It's not simply a classroom. It's a process of being changed and of walking and of growing like Christ and like Christ in how we relate to others. Another author said this about relating in the gospel. The relationship between the master and the student assumed the development of a sustained commitment of the disciple to the master and to the master's particular teaching or mission. And the relationship extended to imitation of the conduct of the master as it impacted the personal life of the disciple." So this relating in the gospel changes the way you live personally, but in a big way it changes how you relate to both Jesus and how you relate to one another. Disciples are more than students, we're family. We live life together. We interact with Christ, and our interaction with Christ ultimately leads to a changed interaction with one another. This is spelled out very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4. So Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians expounding the doctrine of the gospel and how that has impacted so many different areas, how it's shaped us individually. But then he flows from that to the implications of the gospel for daily life. And the very first place he goes is to how the gospel changes our relationships with one another. Look what he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy or comparable that matches the calling to which you have been called, and here's what that looks like. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So one of the primary ways that the gospel changes us is how we relate to one another. And the gospel shapes us because of the grace that we have been shown, because of the mercy that we have been shown, the forgiveness of sins. It shapes us to deal with one another in humility, in gentleness, with patience. We bear with one another in love. So how we relate to one another is absolutely determined by our status, by the reality of our Discipleship, being a follower of Christ. And the last thing, the last characteristic of a disciple or a follower of Jesus, beyond learning, beyond relating, is that followers of Christ communicate the gospel. So if you're a, an ancient disciple, you don't just learn the information and keep it private. You learn the information, it changes the way you live, and then you go out And you teach that information to others. And you demonstrate a changed lifestyle. And you call others to live this way because you genuinely believe this is the path to the good life. This is the path that leads to the best way to live. That's what some other ancient disciple would say, some philosopher. But for the disciple of Jesus Christ, we go out, we proclaim the good news the proclamation of the gospel. We demonstrate by the way we relate to one another that we have been changed and we call others to come to repentance and faith and to recognize that this is how eternal life comes to you. So what does this mean for us? It means that we speak of the gospel. We speak of the good news. We communicate it to others. And it's so easy to naturally Remember we were talking about drifting earlier? It's so easy to naturally sort of drift into our Christian communities and to be comfortable with one another, and that's a wonderful thing, but at times we can shut ourselves off from the broader world, and we don't do this third characteristic. We don't become disciples who actually communicate the gospel to others. So this is part of what it means to be a disciple. This is bound up in the mission of our church. We are here to communicate, to represent the culture of heaven as we're refugees and exiles. We, we communicate the gospel to others. We live in such a way that we say, this is our homeland. This is what it's like there. It's a place of grace and love. And here's the good news about God's rule and reign through Jesus Christ. And so we have to be intentional about this or it's often easy to forget To communicate the gospel. But this isn't something we don't only communicate the gospel to unbelievers. We communicate the gospel to one another as well. We speak of this good news day in, day out, week in, week out amongst one another. We talk about this. And this is the very heart of local church ministry. This is it, communicating the gospel. We learn it. We relate to one another with grace and humility. And then ministry takes place when you and I communicate the teaching of the master to one another and communicate the good news of the gospel. This is how we grow. This is how we change. We speak the truth in love. We remind one another of the glorious grace that we have been shown in Jesus Christ, We talk about God's word. We help one another apply God's word. We pray with one another for gospel conversations, for opportunities to share with unbelievers. We communicate the gospel. I mean, this is what Paul does in 1 Corinthians. He's speaking to believers here. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. And there's more to this, but I cut it off there. But this is the message that Paul spoke to them all the time. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. This is the good news of the kingdom This is the good news of grace, and this is what we want to talk about, and we want to be soaking in all the time. It's not a a message of do better, work harder. It's a message of Jesus Christ has done it for us. He has demonstrated great grace to us, and now we respond to that in joy and acceptance, and we bend that grace out toward others. That same author that I've been quoting this morning, Jonathan Dotson, said this, because his agenda... Of grace is the only solution to our common predicament of sin, Christian or non Christian. Both desperately need the forgiving, reconciling, and restoring power of the gospel to know and enjoy God, not just once, but for a lifetime. So you think about it you were saved by grace, you were brought to life by grace, by the reconciling word, the work that Jesus Christ did. And that message is the same message that we need to hear all the time in a variety of different ways. We apply it here. We apply it there. We speak it here. There's a fresh way to say it here. It applies to your circumstance in this way. But we're always speaking of that grace that we have received and we're rejoicing in it and we're talking about it with one another. And that is a healthy church that grows in the gospel. And that's the way you and I grow as followers of Jesus Christ. We stick to the message. And that's the beauty of it. We begin by grace that we don't deserve. Our lives are centered in grace, and we will be kept by God's grace. The whole thing from start to finish is about His grace, and so we don't perform in order to earn God's favor. We respond to grace with joy and satisfaction and thankfulness. And that's the way our hearts are changed as we encounter God's grace. As you're sitting there singing and you realize I do not deserve the love that has been shown to me, that's the moment when your heart is lifted up and you begin to change to be more like Jesus Christ as you're speaking about that grace with one another in small groups and that recognition comes to bear on you that you are a sinner and you continue to sin day in and day out and yet God's grace has covered that and you are forgiven and you are not responsible to try to earn God's favor or pay back your debt of sin, as you realize that and recognize that, appreciation and thankfulness wells up in your heart and now you have been changed. And that's the process that we're in together as followers of Christ. And that's why we learn that gospel. That's why we relate in that gospel. And my goodness, that's why we communicate that gospel because I need to hear that gospel all the time. I drift, man. (laughs) I drift back into trying to earn God's favor. I drift. And so I need to hear it. And you need to hear it too. So let's be learners Let's be relators, and let's be communicators. And all of that for God's glory, and all of that as we're followers, as we go out to communicate this to others and fulfill the mission that God has us here for. That's my prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have made these things clear for us. I mean, it's right there. It's it's obvious what our responsibilities are, but it's obvious as a response to your great grace to us. I mean, even in Matthew 28, you say all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You won the victory. You overcame death and the grave and sin and Satan. You have all authority, and now we respond to that authority, that grace with thankfulness and changed hearts. And so I pray that you would help us as we move forward to focus on this mission of grace, to focus on the gospel, and to be those who learn and relate and communicate this good news that we have received. Thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray.